Ah, yes. Happy Sunday, everybody, and welcome back to MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days. We are a production of the Athletes Unfiltered Podcast Network, and we are also recording from the Ocean Avenue Studios on the corner of Ocean and Otsego in San Francisco, California. My name is Greg Moraz. I am the host of this program as per usual. Want to remind all of you before we get into brass tacks on today's show, write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. Helps out our metrics tremendously. We are on day six of our 30 teams in 30 days. And joining us today from north of the border, it is AJ Andrews of the Locked On Blue Jays podcast. Good morning, AJ. Happy Sunday, and how are you this fine day? I'm I'm doing all right, Greg. I've made it to to noon. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm gonna set a record for biggest distance between my studio and yours, but um, I'm doing all right. I'm I'm surviving, and that's basically all you can do in this day and age. Are you four hours ahead? Yeah, I'm in. Um, for the listeners, I'm in Nova Scotia. Um, which is on the same time zone as Rio de Janeiro. So, you know, they always say that you learn something new every day. And now I've learned that part of Canada is actually further east of the Eastern time zone. So how about that, ladies and gentlemen? We are special. Very special. And you know what's special, AJ, is the Blue Jays. Because last season was a surprise to pretty much everybody, myself included, and after this year's offseason spending, is there an expectation for the Blue Jays to be in the playoffs this season? I think for the first time in a little bit, there actually is. And it, it's exciting to actually have that kind of energy around the team. I mean, um, let's face it, if it wasn't for the expanded postseason last year, this wasn't a playoff team last year. Like, like they're, they were expected to make that kind of leap to mid-tier status, which they did. And they happened to get a brief taste of the postseason, thanks to Tampa Bay. But, yeah, with, um, with George Springer and Marcus Simeon coming in to really fortify that lineup and erase a couple holes that have been in there, there's palpable excitement for a change like um i was uh i was four when the blue jays won uh their world series but um you know the only comp i really have in my cognizant lifetime is that 2015 2016 run with bautista and encarnacion and donaldson and ever since the cratering in 2017 it's just been like this this lurking in the shadows, building the prospect pool, trying to find the guys who would contribute to make that World Series run again. And now there's there's actual hope that we have that lineup in place, even if the rotation's still a little bit shaky right now. What makes Charlie Montoyo the right person to lead this team? Um, well... I have to compare and contrast him with the previous manager, John Gibbons, who, you know, still has a very fond place in Blue Jays' hearts. Um, Montoya seems to be combining the laid-back attitude that Gibbons had that allowed a clubhouse to to come together and, and really be a cohesive unit with the analytic stuff that uh, the front office has been pushing, trying to find these guys... Um, who fit the strategies that the Blue Jays are actually going through. And, you know, again, not not to praise Tampa Bay any more than I really want to, but Montoyo had a lot of experience with that coming up through that organization where it's purely analytics, analytics, analytics. But there seems to be enough taken on that Montoyo is able to learn on the job and kind of make these mid-game adjust- adjustments um, especially as he's getting more acquainted with uh, with MLB managing. I mean, this is only his third season. So now that he has more experience and, and kind of knows what levers to press with this team and with the players he has, it makes it more likely that he's, he's in a position to succeed with this roster in a way that maybe other managers who have more old school mentalities wouldn't be able to do. 
We're here with AJ Andrews of the Locked On Blue Jays podcast. My next two questions are not baseball related, and I think that they're important, though, given the arc of the Blue Jays this year. My first of those two is where are the Blue Jays going to play their home games? Now, it's already been announced that they're going to play their first couple of home series at their spring training facility in Dunedin, Florida. But if they can't get back to Rogers Center this year, what are they going to do? Are they going to try and play in Buffalo again? Are they going to stay in Florida? Is it going to be a series of different home parks? And if they can't get back to Toronto, what effect does that have on their performance over the course of 162? It's understandable that you could survive not having any real home games over a 60-game season, but over 162, that's eventually going to take its toll on you. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's it's not the scenario anyone really wants to be in. Um, but there's a reason when, uh, when the AAA schedule was announced, Buffalo and Rochester essentially had alternating homestands. And I feel like the plan is if the Blue Jays can't play in Toronto, they're going to Buffalo. They're going back to Buffalo. Buffalo will be moved over to Rochester and they'll just alternate there once AAA baseball actually gets up and running. As for the disadvantages part, I mean, yeah, there there is going to be a disadvantage not being able to play in a park that you're familiar with or have the ability to just know you're going to a home you've rented um, as opposed to staying in a hotel. But a lot of these Blue Jays have almost more experience in Buffalo than they do in Toronto at this point. All the youngsters, Vlad Jr., Bobachet, Kevin Biggio, the likes, all have spent so much more time in Buffalo than Toronto because of the pandemic, what with them just coming up in 2019. And even the new guys, like George Springer's going to be, you know, finding his feet. Marcus Simeon's going to be finding his feet. But it's, it's not like they really have anything to compare it to. So I think the benefits for the Blue Jays actually playing in Buffalo um, actually give them a kind of advantage because we heard last year like when the Yankees they came to play in Salem Field it was all belly aching like the stadium's too small and and the facilities are so bad but like so much freaking whining out of them (laughs) And, (laughs) and it's just like look if you could freaking handle it then you'd go out there and win the game wouldn't you so that's almost an advantage especially for a lot of these teams that are going to be coming in for the first time now that we're going back to you know american league style schedules so you're gonna have like the white Sox and the rangers and and the angels like mike trout's gonna be gonna be in a clubhouse with like tarps over it and that's gonna be hilarious and i think because the blue jays are actually used to that it may lend itself to uh, to a different kind of home field advantage that, you know, it may not affect some of the other American League East teams as they get used to it, but these uh, Central teams, these West teams, it may shake them a little bit because I don't think any of them had to deal with anything like that last year. The one thing I will say to follow up on that is that every major leaguer forgets that they were once a minor leaguer. Mm-hmm. So they've all had to deal with it before, they just haven't had to deal with it in a long time. Yeah. Also, can I say how great it is to be able to watch a game on TV and have a highway as a backdrop? Like, it takes me back to to when I played when I was a kid. And you're, you're just, you know, your goal in a game is to try and hit a car. And, you know, with some of the guys on the Blue Jays, it's possible they could launch one far enough to put a dent in someone's windshield as they go up that on-ramp. And I'm, I'm just waiting for it. I really want it to happen. I also do want to call them the Buffalo Blue Jays again so that I can continue my parody song of Buffalo Soldier as Buffalo Blue Jay. Uh, <laughs> I did I did a little bit on that last year just uh, as a little parody for Twitter, and uh, I want to expand on that this year. But in any event, it's going to be an intriguing year because it seems like the Blue Jays will have multiple homes. The second of my non-baseball questions is this, and I'm curious as somebody that isn't directly in Toronto how you feel about this. The Blue Jays announced a couple of weeks ago that they were going to be the first baseball team to simulcast their TV broadcast on radio, effectively eliminating their radio broadcast. Now, 
I'm a former minor league radio play-by-play guy, and I can tell you that TV-style broadcasts on radio sound awful. What has been the reaction of the fan base to this news that Ben Wagner is no longer going to be calling Blue Jays games. You're going to have Dan Shulman and Buck Martinez doing a TV style call on the radio. <laughs> I, I am going to preface this a little bit um, just because there, there may be a slight bias because the other member of that team, uh, Mike Wilner is a friend of the locked on Blue Jays podcast and has appeared on the podcast multiple times. So, you know, there's a bit of professional relationship there, but it, I mean, what, what can I say? It sounds really stupid. Like, like, and this isn't even anything new for Rogers because of their whole Sportsnet Now move last year where they basically took all their games off of MLB TV and was like, you have to download this app to be able to watch the show. And it didn't work because people don't want it. People don't want to pay extra for something they should be getting on the TV or, or should be able to get in a package if they're paying for all 30 teams. It's another narrow-minded move by this ownership group in a blind effort to try and boost their own um, profitability, but really just ending up tanking the product. And, you know, the fans aren't, aren't going to take that, really. Like, because like, like you said, watching something on TV and then just hearing it, is an entirely different experience. I mean, you have like, and Dan and Buck have been doing TV for eons. I mean, Dan has a bit more experience with radio. He might be able to throw up, but I can guarantee you Buck Martinez isn't thinking, let me, let me describe this for, for the radio listeners. Uh, that guy is an athlete. He's, he's making the baseball plays there. Like, thanks Buck. Thank you. Like it's, it's just going to take away from the product again. And it's going to get to a point where, you know, people are somehow going to turn away from the monopoly that Rogers has on Blue Jays content in this country. Like, like for me, I'm, I'm not, I haven't paid for Sportsnet now. I don't plan on paying for Sportsnet now because I don't get enough value out of that thing to justify that cost. So diminishing the product even further just does not add up to me and it does not make sense. And I, I really hope this, this is just like a pandemic move where, okay, we're going to go without radio this year just to try and save money. But when the fans are back, maybe we'll have the radio again. I hope they see how short-sighted it is because it doesn't make a lot of sense. I will say following up on that, AJ, that here in the Bay area, the Oakland A's two years ago decided that they were not going to be on radio. They were going to do a radio style broadcast on TuneIn and have a full 24 seven streaming service. Well, spoiler alert, that didn't go over very well. And the A's eventually ended up signing with one radio station two years ago and a different radio station last year. So to say that fans want real radio style broadcasts is an understatement, but I will say that if the decision's been made to carry games on radio but not have them radio style, that's a little bit of a different situation. And we're here with A.J. Andrews of the Locked On Blue Jays podcast. I want to get down to the actual players on the field, and let's start with the biggest name on the free agent market, not named Trevor Bauer this offseason, George Springer. I know people that grew up with George, and they told me that he wanted to get out of Houston and play in the Northeast. I thought he was going to the Mets. The Blue Jays made the biggest swing at him. So my question for you is what at the end of the day was behind Springer's decision to come to Toronto, especially considering that the Blue Jays don't normally make big swings like this. They don't give out six-year contracts of that magnitude of average annual value. Um. First of all, can we say George Springer is not alone in wanting to get the heck out of Houston? Because that seems to be par for the course with their athletes these days. I mean, between him and James Harden and Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt, everyone wants out of Houston. So we can't really blame him for that. Um, it, w- it was a big thing. He's a Connecticut boy. And that the attitude around the Blue Jays and free agency is we can find any reason why someone won't sign with us. And it's an attitude that's still kind of ingrained in the fan base, but it started turning a little bit 
last year with the signing of Hyunjin Ryu. And this, you can make the argument the same reason Ryu signed with Toronto is the same reason Springer signed. And that's Toronto was willing to go the extra mile. They gave Ryu a four-year deal when teams were just offering three. The Mets topped out at five years, like 120, 125 in that range. Blue Jays went six. They know they have to go that extra mile just to show their commitment to these kind of free agents. And word is starting to get out, especially when you can put a team on the field that is competitive around them. Like, like I mean, they weren't going to get these kind of free agents back in back in the days when they were relying on like Orlando Hudson and Corey Koski in the lineup. They're able to sell an attractive team and offer security because as much as I just bagged on Rogers in the previous segment, they do have that benefit of having a deep reserve of cash. So they can offer that to players to get them to come up here. It's why they were able to do like Marcus Simeon on a one-year $18 million deal and convince him to play second base instead of shortstop. That's the kind of financial power they have. And now they're finally able to use it and actually draw these players up here. And it was, it was no secret. They wanted Springer the entire way. He just fit so many boxes on the checklist that Toronto needed to take off. So they were going to get him like, like Trevor Bauer, whatever he can buzz off and fly drone somewhere else. But Springer was the guy they always wanted. They were going to make it happen no matter what. And in the end, that extra year that, that you mentioned is the big key to actually getting these guys into the clubhouse in Toronto. And it, it happened again. I would make the argument that now with Springer to go along with Grichik, Hernandez and Guriel, that this is one of the best offensive outfield units in the American League. Would you agree? <laughs> um, I At least from an offensive so. standpoint. From I, an offensive I, standpoint. See, see, the only thing is, like, I, I'm thinking if you take Springer, Hernandez, and Guriel, yeah, I, I think I would say that. I just don't know if I would put Grichik in there. Because I, I – here, here's the thing – I don't know how much playing time Grichik is going to get in the outfield. Like they're going to rotate him in obviously, but most of his playing time is going to be dependent on whether or not he can battle Rowdy Telez for that DH slot in the lineup. So I'm, I'm not even sure I fully consider him an outfielder at this point for the Blue Jays, but it is a very potent outfield. I mean, combined, they did hit like, 39 home runs in 60 games, I believe is the number. And not a lot of, of teams could say that in such a shortened season. So it's going to be imperative on maintaining the growth of 2020. Teoscar is going to have to maintain that silver slugger swing of his. Lourdes Gurriel is going to have to maintain that batting average. And George Springer has to go out there and be the same George Springer that he can be. But between those three on their own, I think it's safe to say that across the board, the Blue Jays do have one of the most stacked offensive outfields in the major leagues. I just don't know how much a part of that Grichik's going to be. We're here with AJ Andrews of the Locked on Blue Jays podcast. The acquisition of Marcus Simeon adds another big bat to an infield that has a lot of them. So my question to you is, how do you see this infield ultimately shaking out considering you have to start Vlad Jr., you have to start Bo Bichette, you've got to start Simeon, and more than likely, Kevin Biggio at second base every day. Well, that's the thing. Um, Kevin Biggio is probably going to be the everyday third baseman for this team. Um, if, you, if you looked at last year's roster, obviously the big hole was at third base. They didn't want to play Vladimir Guerrero Jr. there anymore, so they signed Travis Shaw, and Shaw was better than he was in 2019, but not good enough to justify keeping him around. So that's why they went hard on the infield market, looking for a guy who would be willing to take a one-year deal and maybe set them up to have a more well-rounded infield. And Simeon's already looked very good at second base. We've seen um, in the only spring training game I was able to watch because they're not actually broadcasting any of the spring training games. 
Simeon looked very comfortable at second base. He has experience playing second base in the major leagues from his time with the White Sox. So it wasn't going to be much of a stretch to put him there. And Biggio started getting reps at third base last season when it became clear that Travis Shaw was not part of the solution in Toronto. And like, you know, as much as Vladdy Jr. said, I want to play third base. I'm like, sorry, third basemen don't make four errors in nine games in the Dominican Winter League. So that was never going to happen, Vladdy. Cabin's a better option defensively. And, you know, with guys on the bench like Joe Panic and, and with Simeon, who can also play short and third, they are going to be able to move him around and, and maintain that versatility that they've really treasured uh, with their lineups and, and being able to deploy guys where they need to be on any given day. So I think that's going to be your lineup. Vladdy at first, Simeon at second, Bobachet at short, and Kevin Biggio at third. Vladdy will probably swap with Rowdy Telez on days that one of those guys needs an off day. We're expecting Joe Panic to make the team again, so he'll be the backup infielder. And they'll they'll just roll with that setup. That's a very familiar one for those guys on the team. And ultimately, hopefully, will be a more consistent offensive one. So I want to follow up on that. And the reason why I do is that you saying Marcus Simeon playing second base is a really interesting wrinkle for me because in his entire time in Oakland, he was the A's starting shortstop. And one of the reasons why I thought that they signed him to play shortstop is that Marcus Simeon, because of the work he did with Ron Washington early in his career in Oakland, went from being one of the worst defensive shortstops in all of baseball to probably a top 10 defensive shortstop in baseball. And I thought that if Simeon was going to go anywhere, it would be to be a starting shortstop. And A's fans are pissed that they didn't bring him back, considering he is from Berkeley, California, which is (laughs) the bordering city to Oakland. So I think it's going to be really interesting from a defensive adjustment because And I'd have to go back through game logs, but as far as I'm concerned, and I watch a lot of A's games, AJ, I can't remember the last time that Marcus Simeon played second base. It probably, as you said, was when he was with the White Sox. Yeah, and and I can actually confirm that, that he did not play any other position other than shortstop with Oakland, but he does have that time at the other positions with the White Sox, and... The, the other thing is the Blue Jays weren't going to move Bo Bichette unless they got like one of the top three shortstops in baseball. Like if they, if they had landed Francisco Lindor from Cleveland, they would have moved Bo Bichette. But they see Bo as a leader on his team. They see him as the one of the cornerstones on this team. And they want to make sure he knows that and feels that and the best way to do that is make sure he knows his position is his like, like full stop. He's their shortstop. And yeah, there are going to be off days when Semyon will probably move over to play short. They'll play panic at second base and, and just let that go naturally. But it, it was never going to be a Semyon level talent that moved Bo Bichette out of short. And, you know, there were, there were other issues at play as well um i've talked to jason burke who is our locked on a's uh host on the locked on podcast network and uh a lot of it's been me jokingly saying hey you should trade us matt chapman remember how well that worked the last time the a's traded an all-star third baseman to toronto you should do that again but chapman also kind of factors into simeon as well I've seen people being like, well, Simeon had improved defense because he was playing next to Matt Chapman and Matt Chapman's like the reincarnation of Brooks Robinson. So there, there is a a little bit of wiggle room there, but as you said, he did a lot of work uh, in, in specifically improving his defense and he did get a lot better at it. So that allows the Blue Jays to feel a lot more confident that he's going to be able to transition to second base just as easily. And, and like I said, in the brief stint that I saw him last week, um, he looked very comfortable. Those four innings are working um, from that side of the, of the bag. And like half the time, the shortstop shifted over past second base anyway. So it's not like it's a foreign position for him. 
AJ, I do want to talk about Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette now because they've been two of the most heralded prospects in baseball for the last five years. Now each of them entering their second full season, their third complete season in Major League Baseball. I guess you can say that Vlad Jr. had a full season in 2019. What do each of them have to do to take that next step? Um. Well, for Bo, it's going to be a matter of, you know, getting a full season of Major League Baseball under his belt. Um, he had the brief stint in 2019. He got 46 games. He ended up only playing half the games last season because of injuries. But in in the time he's been on the field, he's looked really, really good. Um, he's got a 307 batting average at the Major League level. That's going to play no matter what. Um he has speed available when he needs it. He has power available when he needs it. He just needs to be able to do it 150 times in a year. That's going to be the big thing for Bichette this year is durability, building up that stamina and making sure he can be out there every day for this team as it starts to compete. With Vladdy, it's it's just going to be a matter of, you know, being able to rebound for the first time because, like, like you said, he was like number one prospect in baseball. The minor leagues were a cakewalk for him. He won the championship at New Hampshire. It was nothing. And then last season, he admitted he let himself, you know, kind of kind of get away from what was making him successful in the offseason during that shutdown, those first three months of the season. And it resulted in a subpar season from him the 262 batting average is not what we expect out of vladimir guerrero jr given what he was able to do at a minor league level so what he's going to need to do is be able to consistently put bat on ball with authority not none of these weak little ground outs that he was so content to settle for when he was just swinging at bad pitches, he needs to get back to what he was able to do successfully in the minors. And that is make solid contact, get those line drives, send that ball into the outfield. Cause he's not, he's not the prolific home run hitter. His dad was, he is a scatter hitter. He's a line drive hitter. He's a guy who racks up doubles and you know, he's again, I'm basing this off the one game. I was able to watch because again, they're not putting spring training games on the air up here, but he does look like he's in better shape than he was in 2020. Um, He had a particular instance where he was chugging around from second to home on a double. And I say chugging just because that's usually how I describe Vladimir Guerrero Jr. running, but it was less chugging and more gliding this time. And that's a big thing. If he can maintain that, and, and similar to Bo, if he can maintain his health as well, he has a chance to build on what he's been able to do and take that next step from being a former top prospect to being a legitimate threat at the major league level, being an all-star candidate at the major league level. That's, that's what we want to see out of both these guys. We know they have the talent. They need to put it together, stay on the field, and, and actually act on that talent to get to the stages where we think they can be heading into what should be a long competitive window for this Blue Jays team. We are here with AJ Andrews of the Lockdown Blue Jays podcast, MLB MLB Morning Coffees, 30 teams in 30 days. Gosh, I can't even say my own show right. (laughs) Given all of the depth that they have on the field, in the lineup, and given this guy's lack of positional versatility, you talked about him earlier in regards to being a main DH type of guy. Is there a chance that Rowdy Telez gets left off the opening day roster? I don't think so. And, and I say that mostly because what Rowdy Telez offers is something very few people on this Blue Jays roster can offer, and that's left-handed power. One of the one of the things that the Blue Jays were supposed to be looking for in the offseason, according to pundits, was a left-handed bat to go into the lineup. They didn't sign one of those. They signed Springer and Semi, and they're both righties. So in terms of lefty bats um, on their 40-man roster right now, they have five, but the only ones who are expected to break camp with the team are Biggio and Rowdy. 
So Rowdy fills the role of breaking up that righty monopoly. And I know you'll get people who are saying, well, it doesn't really matter righty or lefty anymore as long as they hit. But that's still something that plays into a manager's mind. Because there are still those guys you will have the noticeable splits on. And having a guy like Rowdy, even if he's not in the lineup, if he's just... Um, you know, coming off the bench to deliver a pinch hit. That was something he was he was doing a fair amount of last season. And it's a role he's familiar with. And now that, you know, trade speculation has settled down a little bit, Rowdy knows he's going to be in the Blue Jays, at least for now. He can focus more on, on hitting. And from what we've seen out of spring training so far, Rowdy wants to hit. He wants to hit everything. He's been ripping doubles like he did when he first came up, when he won the hearts of Blue Jays fans across the nation with his proclivity for hitting those extra base hits. So if he can do that, he will maintain a spot. And and like I said, he'll spell um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first. He'll probably be that primary DH. He'll be battling Grichuk for out, for at-bats if you know, one of them isn't traded and spoiler alert, kind of hoping it's Gritch because I would love to see Josh Palacios stay up with this team as another lefty bat. He's been really impressive in spring so far. He's a young outfielder that the Blue Jays are really high on. I'd love to see either him or Jonathan Davis in that fourth outfield role. And if they can trade Gritchick for maybe some pitching, that would be so much more beneficial than having both of them on the bench. One more position player question before we move to pitching. Alejandro Kirk, he's a fascinating (laughs) prospect. Is there a chance he makes the opening day roster, or can you lock in Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire as your two backstops? Um, If I'm being honest, I think you can lock in Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk because I think Reese McGuire lost his job last year. The second Alejandro Kirk emerged from the minors. You can't ignore a guy who, who bolts out of the gate like he does with the ability to, again, just put bat on ball in an era where so many players are just, you know, going for the three true outcomes to strike the walk or the home run. Alejandro Kirk sees ball and hits ball. There's a reason he had a 375 batting average in his brief stint last year. He's just able to find contact. And and Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire struggled offensively last year so badly. It was it was the one glaring hole in the Blue Jays lineup. When um when some of us tried to put together Blue Jays lineups, um, you know, uh Andrew Stoughton noted that there's no real wrong way to put together this lineup. I'll note there is one wrong way. And that's if you have Danny Jansen above eight or nine, because he was just not hitting consistently. He's, he's had a couple of good swings so far in spring, but he needs to have more to really delay uh, the calls for Alejandro Kirk to step in and get more consistent at bats. Cause he is showing an offensive prowess and a defensive prowess as well. Um, Robbie Ray's noted that he's actually very comfortable with Alejandro Kirk behind the plate because Kirk has a maturity beyond his years when it comes to calling a game. And with five catchers on the 40 man roster right now and Reese McGuire out of options, I'm pretty sure he's going to be wearing a different Jersey come April, whether it's a Buffalo Bison's Jersey or some other teams, but I think Reese McGuire's run out of chances. One quick follow-up. Alejandro Kirk is listed at 5'8", 265. That's <laughs> insane to me. Is that accurate? Fairly accurate. He is, uh, he is a grown adult son who moves around the bases like a, a bulldozer with nitrous attached to it. So you just do not want to be in his way. If it comes down to like, like him trying to go into second, I, I, I pray that any infielder trying to block the base with Alejandro Kirk coming around has the foresight to just get out of the way. We are here with AJ Andrews of the Locked On Blue Jays podcast, and I want to move to the rotation. And I specifically structured my questions because it's more worth talking about 
this team on the position side of things than it is on the pitching side of things. And you alluded to it early on, but I want to emphasize this. Nate Pearson has just gone out with a groin injury. The former first-round pick has no timetable for his return. It's a really weird rotation when I look at it because outside of Hunchin Ryu, you've got a real mix of guys that in Robbie Ray that have serious command issues, Steven Matz, who's coming off the worst season he's ever had, Tanner Roark, who had a horrific debut season, and Ross Stripling, who by all accounts is not really a major league starter. So what are they going to do from a starting rotation standpoint if Pearson isn't back by opening day and you've got one really good starter and then everybody else where there are a ton of question marks? And I didn't throw Tyler Chatwood in there because at least on the Blue Jays depth chart, he's currently listed as a bullpen guy. But having watched him over the past couple of years in Chicago, that's not a guy you can rely upon to be a number three or a number four starter. Yeah, and um, the Blue Jays don't plan on relying on him as a starter. It's it's um, it's been pretty well set that uh, Chatwood's going to be a a later inning leverage guy, a guy who you might be able to get two innings out of, um, but is going to be asked to like dial up his fastball in order to get guys out. So Chatwood's not in the equation. Um, one of one of the benefits of the past couple years of Blue Jays baseball is they've had a chance to go through a lot of guys who have made starts for them and see who's going to work and who's not. Um, they've traded some of those guys like Sean Reed Foley, who went in the deal to get Steven Matz. They moved some of those guys to the bullpen like Ryan Barucki when they needed a lefty arm. Um, but they still have a lot of options and we're seeing a lot of them uh, so far in spring training. Um, like on, on the first day we saw Anthony K go out there TJ Zoic went out there. Those are two of the guys who are probably going to be higher depth options at AAA for the Blue Jays if they need to call up starters. But they invested in guys like Robbie Ray and Steven Matz for a reason. And they've really liked the progress that uh, Robbie Ray made with the Blue Jays after coming over from Arizona when he was leading the National League in walks. As you said, just no control whatsoever. But he did start to improve um, with the Blue Jays and so far so good in spring. Um, he, he's starting today um, since we're recording this on a Sunday, but he had his first appearance on Monday against Pittsburgh. And in two innings, he threw, uh, I believe it was 29 pitches and uh, sorry, 26 pitches, 24 of them were strikes. That is an insanely good ratio for a guy who could not find the strike zone at times last year. He gave up a home run to Anthony Alford, which I mean, Blue Jays fans, we have a soft spot for Anthony Alford. We just, we just hope he's, he's doing well in Pittsburgh, but the important thing with Ray was getting that control down. Same with Matt's. I mean, as you said, he was absolute hot garbage last year. Like I, I tried, I tried my best to justify the um the Matt's trade at the time when everyone in my mentions is like but he's got like a nine ERA I'm like well he only had like a four ERA against the American League East but it, it was just really hard to try and justify that but Matt's has also started str uh, started strong in spring and again this is a guy who the Blue Jays need to hope have are they're able to iron out the things that went wrong with him last year. He did have injury issues that contributed a bit to the problems he had on the mound. It's why he ended up relieving for the Mets a lot of the time. Um, they need a bounce back season from Tanner Roark, the diesel engine, as it were. Um, if he wants to, if he wants to start living up to that name, he is more than welcome to, but um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, a team effort from from those guys from from uh, whoever they do move into the rotation to replace Pearson, be it Ross Stripling, be it Julian Merriweather, be it TJ Zoic, be it Anthony Kay, be it Tom Hatch. I've I've seen some things about maybe trying to stretch Hatch back out, but I I do like Hatch more as a reliever. 
Um, but they're they're not going to be able to find a free agent option. Jake Odorizzi just came off the market, so you can't replace Nate Pearson with with that veteran arm. You just need to hope the guys that you believed in are able to step up and repay that trust. Because if they don't, then the Blue Jays are finally going to have to dip into that prospect capita in June and July and go out and acquire a starting pitcher who can. Because they. If one of those guys can't step up, if Robbie Ray can't find that Cy Young form, if Mats can't bounce back and be a four or five until Pearson is healthy enough to go, they're going to need someone else. There's no question about that. We're here with AJ Andrews of the Locked On Blue Jays podcast. A couple more questions for you, AJ, before we say goodbye. I followed him a lot in college and thought that he was worthy of a first round pick. But given that he was traded for Marcus Stroman, are you disappointed in what you've seen to this point in the career of Anthony Kay? I can't say disappointed because I mean, if, if you're talking disappointment, you can really only go off the 2020 season. And that was just weird. If, I mean, you are asking Anthony Kay to function in a relief role, something he hadn't really done before. And he struggled. His command was all over the place. And you just could not get the guys out. And that's why he's ticketed as a depth option. But now that he's back in a familiar role as a starter, um, it looks like he has the potential to have a nice little bounce back season. And there, there's one plot point I like to point to with Anthony K, and that's his 2019 stats. He had a 579 ERA in three games with Toronto in 2019. But if you look at his fielding independent pitching numbers, that number is almost cut in half. He had a 264 uh, fielding independent pitching, which means he was pitching well. He just did not get the defense behind him. So now that the Blue Jays have an improved defense with Simeon in the infield, with Biggio taking over at third, if he does end up as a starter for the Blue Jays, there's reason to believe he's going to be more successful. K is... Um, he's able to get a strikeout, but he does rely on getting ground balls like a lot of Blue Jays pitchers. So if he's able to do that, then it stands to reason he can be a solid four or five starter like a Steven Matz and, you know, hopefully stave off the Blue Jays having to actually use Tommy Malone in a game this season. Yeah, Tommy Malone is somebody as a frequent follower of the Oakland Athletics. I would not wish that on anybody. Oh my god, I'm I was amazed he was still in the league and that we actually signed him. Like I'm no, nothing against the man, but um I saw him pitch in Atlanta last year and uh no, 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 no. Just no. If he's if he's with the Blue Jays, there are some serious problems. I want to go to one bullpen question, and this was a bit of a conundrum for me, AJ. By all accounts, Anthony Bass had a really solid 2020 season. He's a journeyman guy. They let him walk to Miami. Instead, they bring in somebody in Kirby Yates who had a great 2019 season and has one of the best sliders in baseball. Over his 2018 and 2019 in San Diego, he saved a combined 53 games, had a 119 ERA in 2019, but last year couldn't stay healthy, and was really ineffective. Did they sign Yates to be the closer thinking that at his best, he's an upgrade or is he going to be in a competition with somebody like a Rafael Dolis for that closers position? Um, well, I would say Kirby Yates is essentially replacing Ken Giles in that role in the, in the veteran uh, reliever who they're hoping has that bounce back season. I will admit he was not my first choice because I really wanted his former Padres running mate, Brad Hand, to sign with Toronto. I made no secret about that. I pleaded on my podcast, please sign Brad Hand. Eventually he went to Washington. There's nothing you can do. But yeah, they're they're essentially banking on Yates to, to have that bounce back season from, from the injury issues that plagued him in San Diego last year. And Similar to Matt's, a guy who, you know, didn't have a lot of time to work through it. And once it started happening, couldn't really respond to it. Similar to Giles last year, 
once these players start feeling things going off in their arms, it's tough to get back into rhythm and be successful. So the Blue Jays are clearly hoping that given the off-season period of rest, given that he's had the procedure to clear up the uh, the chips in his elbow, that Yates can rebound and be that guy in San Diego who was so dominant in the back end that, that he was getting Cy Young votes. And, you know, they do have other options. As you mentioned, Rafael Delis is back there. He was, he was very effective as he got comfortable being back in Major League Baseball. Jordan Romano is going to be back there. He have the 97 mile an hour slider and, and just the absolute filth he was throwing for the first part of last season. Um, they did sign David Phelps. He's essentially going to be filling that Anthony Bass role as, as a kind of, you know, one inning uh, late guy, just, just brought in there to, to put out the fire. Um but there are enough options where if Yates does struggle out of the gate, he's on a one-year deal. So it's not like they're, you know, financially tied to him. But, you know, they can turn to Romano. They can turn to Delis. Um, they still have that bullpen built up with guys like Ryan Barucki. Um, They brought Travis Bergen back from Arizona for his third tour of duty with the Blue Jays. Um, they still have Tom Hatch back there. Um, if Merriweather doesn't make the rotation he could be a very interesting look as a bullpen piece because he has that triple digit fastball of his so there are enough options for the blue jays where they don't need yates to be good but if he is back on that 2018 2019 form obviously it's going to be a huge benefit for this team considering they were rotating bullpen arms and and expecting guys like anthony bass to go out there and be closers and I like Anthony Bass. I think he did a great job for the Blue Jays, but you don't want to rely on Anthony Bass as your closer. You want to have options if that's the level of closer you're talking about. Final question here for AJ Andrews of the Lockdown Blue Jays podcast, and we appreciate all of your time this morning, AJ. I ask everybody this question at the end of all of these preview shows. What's the ceiling? What's the floor? Um... This is where I get in a lot of trouble with American League East fans. I think the floor is second place. Because <laughs> I'm sorry, what has Boston or Baltimore or Tampa Bay done to really prove that they're going to be better? I mean, Tampa Bay traded, lost two-thirds of its big three in the rotation, and now Ryan Yarbrough is their number two. Boston's you're telling wait you're wait AJ you're telling me that signing Rich Hill isn't going to put them over the top <laughs> really uh, Michael Walker coming off the worst season he's ever had that's not going to put them over the top Chris Archer coming off the Rossic Outlet syndrome yeah no I don't think it's going to do it um but yeah Boston's big free agent signing was Kike Hernandez and they now have zero members remaining from that outfield that got them to a World Series. Um, and Let Baltimore. me just say this also, AJ, as somebody that used to work in the Milwaukee Brewers organization, if you get outbid by the Brewers for an outfielder, that means you really don't want to spend money. <laughs> I just found that hilarious that JBJ went to the Brewers and I put two ex-Blue Jays out of, out of business with that move because like, I don't see how Billy McKinney or Derek Fisher make the team now after signing JBJ. Cause they, they, they have so many outfielders in Milwaukee. I don't, it, it's funny, but yeah. And then Baltimore is Baltimore. I'm sorry. And I hate to go Juju Smith. She's on this, but until they prove otherwise, the Orioles are the Orioles are the Orioles. And when you're running Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey out there, hoping to get 30 starts out of each of them, you're not in for a good time. That's just not how things work in this day and age. So I, I don't see how the Blue Jays finish below second place. I don't see how they don't get into the playoffs again. Now, whether or not they can take the pennant outright for the Yankees is going to depend on that starting rotation that we talked about. If they get the bounce back seasons from Ray and Matt's, and if Stripling's a good contributor, if Tanner Roark shows like the league average form that he used to have, 
it's very possible that they can outrace the Yankees because the Yankees are relying on guys who have been injured a lot. I talked with Stacey Gutsulius about this on Wednesday and, you know, she said the same thing. It's going to be a matter of Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyon can actually hold up for a season. So they're not relying on their prospects or their retreads. And that's going to be the battle the entire season. Who's going to get the most out of their starting rotation? And given the depth that the Blue Jays have compared to the Yankees, I like the Blue Jays. The ceiling is obviously AL pennant and then, you know, ALCS. I I think at a minimum, they should be in like the final final eight. And then I think they should be in the final four. Um, Battling for that right to be in a World Series spot. And obviously the floor is just the same as last year, a wild card spot and then a first round exit against whatever the four or five team, however they do end up doing the postseason, um, just a one and done and another build for next season kind of thing where they go into the off season, probably looking for starting pitching, but yeah, the, it's a very high room that we're aiming for this year. And I don't think I've been able to say that about the Blue Jays since 2016. I'll say this. That's a very confident floor and ceiling. AJ, yeah. before we let you go, let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find your podcast, and anything else that you want to plug in regards to the content that you put out into the ether. <laughs> If there's one thing they say about us Canadians, it's that we're totally confident about everything, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, you can find me um, on the Locked On Podcast Network as host of the Locked On Blue Jays podcast. We do five episodes a week, um, and uh, we'll be doing that for the entire season. If I do have time to write anything, you can find that on jaysfromthecouch.com, your number one Blue Jays blog source for all the analysis and facts you could want. And then if you just want to talk to me directly, you can find me on Twitter at A underscore J underscore Andrews. The underscores are there because Twitter is so freaking dumb and yet it allows me to get updates on Blue Jays baseball because they won't actually broadcast the dang games. AJ Andrews, thank you so much for your time today. And Blue Jay fans, make sure you download the song All the Time by Swoop because more than likely that's the walk-up you're going to hear when Marcus Simeon comes to the plate. I got to tell you, I'm going to miss hearing that at the Oakland Coliseum this upcoming season. Thank I'm you sure again for listening. Yeah, oh, gosh, yeah. It's, it's a jam. It's uh. It's it's California rap coming north of the border. Let's just put it that way. We like it. We like it up here. <laughs> AJ Andrews of the Lockdown Blue Jays podcast. This has been another edition of MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days. Tomorrow, we move out of Canada and we head down to America's nation's capital as we preview the Washington Nationals. Thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your Sunday.